Amen. Thank you, team. Isn't it good to be washed? Isn't it good? Amen? Amen. I know it's 8 o'clock in the morning. Usually uh, the, eight, the early service is not as live. We've got to Got to be ready to receive the word, and as we uh, think about the praise we just sung, it, it's amazing, isn't it? Do, you, do we stop and think how dirty our sins are? How, 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 tr- how trembling before God we would be if, our, if we hadn't been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, what a great t- day today. Thank you, uh, uh, Newcastle. We, we love you. Uh, greetings from Bethany across, all the way across the river. Um, I know that's a, a wide river for some, but, but uh, it's been a privilege for me to uh, participate really in your church for uh, almost as long as I participated as Bethany because uh, early on at Bethany, I got to know uh, Pastor Phil. He reached out to me as a, as a young man, has been a mentor to me, and of course, uh, uh, got to know uh, Pastor Troy and then Pastor Kevin, and, and so very thankful for this church and, and her ministry, her mission. Uh, you know, it's always an honor to be asked to come and share the word with any church. It's a sobering responsibility. But when you're asked back, that's a special honor. <laughs> so, so thank you again. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4 this morning. Uh, we're going to look at the ministry of the gospel, what God does when we come to uh, see his glory in the face of Jesus, the transformation t- that takes place, uh, and we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, and 4. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 17. In a moment, I'll have you stand. I want to again give a welcome to these fine Moody students on the, on the front row, in the second row too. Uh, back in the day, <laughs> way back in the day, your president, Mark Job, was was uh, a classmate of mine, and he was amazing back then. He's amazing now. You know, I was a shy little kid, and he was just this bolster ball of energy and talent and uh, doing things for Christ, and he's still doing it, and I love him, and I love what's happening at Moody. God bless the school that D.L. Moody founded. Uh, Well, let's stand as we read Scripture together. We're going to begin with verse 17 of of, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, and read down to verse 6 of chapter 4. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus Christ, Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we are grateful uh, to gather together, to be a part of your gathered church, to worship together. Lord, I pray that because we're together, that our love for you would be fueled by one another. We would encourage one another all the more. I pray that we're because we're together, uh, our worship and praise would ex- be expressed with greater joy, with greater passion. I pray that because we're together, our faith would be inflamed. I pray that because we're together, our love for one another would deepen. And I pray for this church. I thank you for Newcastle. I pray for her in this season. I pray for her to establish herself even more and more in her love for you and love for each other. I pray that you would bring your grace upon her to every individual and to the church as a whole. I pray that you would guide her and you would bless her. I pray that you would help her and allow her light to shine brightly in this part of the community. We pray, O oh God, that you would speak to us and that you would, you would show us your glory. We, we desire so much not to just think about words or think about ideas or think about doctrines, but we desire to see you as a result of our being together. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. When we believe in Jesus as our Savior, Lord, King, God places his very life in our soul. A miracle takes place. So we become a people who long for more than correct theology, a people who long for more than uh, sweet religious rituals, long for more than being part of a, a loving group of individuals. True disciples of Jesus long to become like Jesus to be conformed to his very image in our, in our thoughts, in our words, our attitudes, our actions, our relationships. We long to think like him. We long to behave like him. We long to work like him, to love like him. We want to love the things he loves. We want to hate the things he hates. We want to be part of building up the things that he's building, and we want to be part of destroying the things that he's destroying. We want to pursue the good the way that he pursues the good, and we want to hate evil the way he hates evil. So here's the big question, how? How can we become like Jesus? This is such a vital question for us to ask ourselves. It's the very heart of the Christian faith. And our passage today helps us to pursue becoming like Jesus. It helps us to understand how God might work in us so that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus. Uh, The main idea we're going to trace through uh, this passage of Scripture is that God uses the ministry of the gospel to give sight to our souls so that we see God's glory. And the soul that sees God's glory begins to become more like Him day by day. In fact, the more we see of His glory, the more we'll grow. And the more we grow like Him, the more we'll see of His glory. What What a wonderful process God has placed us in when He gives us life. God's purpose in saving us is far more than granting us forgiveness of sin, far more than securing for us a home in heaven. Those are blessings and wonderful gifts from the Lord as part of the gospel. But God's purpose is also to restore our spiritual sight so that we can see His very person, that we can share His life. This vision of God, it's it's really the beginning, the middle, it's the end of the Christian life. 
Uh, we remember that before sin entered the world, God created us in his image with a, this singular purpose. And that purpose is simply that we would know him, that we would walk with him, that we would see him, that we would enjoy him, that we would commune with him, that we would worship him. This is the very purpose for which we are born. And yet, sin entered this world, and sin robs us of our spiritual sight. And we become blind to God. And being blind to God, we cannot connect to this purpose for which we are created. So the first matter that Apostle Paul brings to us is God's gift of spiritual sight to everyone who believes the gospel. If you're looking in your text, look at verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. For the letter kills, but it is the spirit that gives life. In the Old Testament, God gives his law, which is good. His law is extremely good. But Paul affirms that the law can convict us, the law condemns us, but the law in itself can never give us life. It, it brings death. Only the Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can bring the life of God into our dead soul. So Paul continues this explanation of the Spirit's working through the ministry of the gospel of Jesus. And Paul contrasts then this old covenant, the covenant of Moses, the covenant of the law, with this new covenant, the covenant of the Spirit. And he uses the ministry of Moses to highlight the superiority of the ministry of Jesus. And some in this church of Corinth want to go back to the law. That, that's what he's dealing with, these, these Judaizers, these false teachers who are luring the church away from Paul, away from the gospel. And so he explains that in verse 7 now. If the ministry of death, so this is what he calls the ministry of the old covenant. Now, the ministry of the old covenant, again, it's good. It's, it's established by God. But the ministry of the old covenant, the ministry of the law can only bring death. And that's why he says it's the ministry of death because it can never give us life. If the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory, and think about this for a moment, that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. So Moses receives the law, he comes down from the mountain, his face is glowing, and the people then could not gaze upon Moses' face because the, the, the glory of the ministry of the old covenant is so great. He says, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit even have more glory? Ought we not to expect expect that we would experience far more than the Old Testament saints did as they gathered around Mount Sinai. So Paul here clearly is taking us back to Mount Sinai where God displays his glory first to Moses, who's the mediator of this covenant, and then also to all the people. And I just want to read to you from Exodus 34 so that we refresh our, ministry, our, our mind about that event because that's what Paul's talking about. So in Exodus 30, 24, excuse me, the Lord says to Moses, come up to me on this mountain. So there, the whole people, a couple million are gathered around Mount Sinai, and he says, come up and wait there, that I might give you the tablets of stone. This is the ministry of the old covenant. I'm going to give you the law, I'm going to give you the commandment, which I've written for their instruction. So Moses, what does he do? He goes up on top of this mountain. And there's this cloud, it's a cloud of glory that covers this mountain. 
and the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. So all the people are at the base of this mountain. They're looking up, and it says, it looks like this mountain is on fire. Think of how, how scary that would be. And it's, it, they know it's the glory of God. It's not something physical. It's not a forest fire. It's the glory of the Lord coming down from heaven and making an appearance before Moses bore the people. And it says, and Moses went straight up into that cloud. And he went up into the mountain because God commanded him to. And he, was, he was safe to go up the mountain because he was following the will of the Lord. And Moses then stayed up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So for these 40 days, Moses meets with God, or we should rather say God meets with his servant Moses face to face. And when Moses comes down from the mountain, his face is aglow. And yet, this time of meeting with the Lord and experiencing the glory of the Lord is not yet over for Moses. God's going to continue to meet with Moses face to face after those 40 days. In fact, uh, Exodus tells us that Moses sets up a tent outside the camp. So the, the whole of the camp, a couple million people, uh, are, are gathered around this, this tabernacle where the glory of the Lord is represented in the Holy of Holies. But Moses sets up a tent outside the whole of the camp. And it is there at the tent that the, Moses would go out in the morning. The cloud of glory would descend upon Moses' tent and when the cloud of glory descended upon the Moses' tent, all the people who are in their tents in the camp would get up and they would all face Moses' tent. They would see that God is meeting with their leader, this mediator of this covenant. And they would all then fall on their faces and they would worship the Lord as Moses met with the Lord and saw his glory afresh. Now remember that the people of Israel are at the base of this mountain, Mount Sinai, for 11 months. So this happens day after day for almost nearly a year. And this meeting of Moses with God, God with Moses, is a frequent occurrence. In Exodus 33:11, it says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, and I love this phrase, as a man speaks with a friend. This is unheard of. Uh, remember, the people of Israel had not experienced the presence of the Lord for 400 years while they were in, in bondage in Israel. They had just come out, and now they're experiencing him up close, personal, through the mediation of, of, the, of God's servant Moses. Now, one of the effects upon Moses in these encounters with God is that not only is there a spiritual transformation that's invisible that's taking place inside uh, Moses, but physically, the skin of Moses' face would shine with a radiance. His face reflected the glory of God so that others around could see some of the glory as they looked upon Moses' face. And when people saw Moses' face shining with God's glory, what'd they do? Well, what would you do if someone came in with their face shining with the glory of God? You'd say, whoa, what's going on? Because it's very unusual. It doesn't happen every day. In fact, it never had happened. And they backed away and they're afraid, what's happening? And so Moses didn't want people every time he appeared to them to back away from him in fear. So what does he do? He takes a veil and he puts it over his face to hide the glory of God that is physically shining from his very person and is, is uh, seen by every person 
who comes into connection with him. Exodus 34, 34 says, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak to, to him, he would remove the veil until he came out. He wanted a face-to-face meeting, that personal connection to know God. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' face was shining. Again, imagine that, just imagine that. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak again with God. You know, here what, what, we're, what we're learning about this God at this early stage uh, of the revelation of God in Scripture in Exodus is that God is a God who's willing to show his glory to a sinful people. Is Moses a sinner? Absolutely. And yet God is a God who's willing to communicate his glory to a sinful people. Under the new covenant, those of all of us who are here after Jesus, God's son, has, has took on human flesh and, and lived a life of righteousness and died upon the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God. And we who live under this new covenant now are all invited to see the glory of God through Jesus. Moses was great. He was a great man. He's a sinful man. He, he, he needed a sacrifice for sin. Jesus is a sinless son of God. And now Jesus, not just Moses mediating the, go, the glory of God to a people, it is Jesus, God's son, mediating his glory, his, his very personal essence and presence to his people through his spirit. And he invites every one of us, every one of us into that experience. Under the old covenant, only Moses saw the glory of God. Think of that. Under the new covenant, every one of us are invited by Jesus to ascend the mountain and see the Lord. Everyone who turns to Jesus will have the veil removed and will see God for real. Jesus himself removes the veil from our faces. He gives us eyes to see God and to know God. And when the veil is removed, we don't merely look at God with fascination like an astronomer looks at the stars. We don't merely look upon God with appreciation like an artist would look at a masterpiece painting. We are a people who look at God with an intimate joy even like a person who looks upon his very best friend. That's who we are. That's the ministry of the gospel. We experience the joy of knowing him as our father, as our God, as our king. Now here's a personal question for you at this moment. Has the veil been removed from your heart? Have you and do you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus? It's the most important question. I don't ask whether you prayed a prayer to receive Jesus as Savior. That's, that's a decent question, but I don't ask that question. I don't ask whether you're a member of a church. I, I, I don't ask whether you read your Bible. I, I ask this question because it's really central to to the salvation that God brings to every individual who looks upon him in faith. Has the veil been removed? 
Have you had this experience of seeing God and His glory and knowing Him as your God? Because here's the truth. Every person who comes to Jesus in faith receives the blessing of seeing the glory of God. Every person, every true Christian knows by experience that God is good, loving, powerful, righteous, holy, eternal. Not only because the Bible tells us so, but because God has removed the veil of blindness from our hearts and we see Him for who He is. You know, there are many appropriate ways for a Christian to talk about his or her conversion. Someone might say, well, I repented of my sin and I received Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Praise God. Another might say, I I came to Jesus in faith and he forgave me of all my sin. Another might say, I've been adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus. Another might say, I've been born again by the Spirit. Another might say, I've been justified through faith in Jesus and and through faith in his atoning death for me upon the cross. And all these expressions are good and wonderful and amazing and true and right as experiences of the child of God. But here in chapters 3 and 4 of 2 Corinthians, we find another key description of the experience of the true Christian. And that is a person who is able to testify, I was blind to God's glory But God opened the eyes of my heart, and now I see him. I see him as one who is worthy of worship. I know him as the Lord who loves me. I know him as my Father to whom I can talk and on whom I can count to care for me now and forever. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord, there's freedom. Uh, The Christian life under the new covenant is freedom. Freedom from the ravages of guilt and condemnation that our sin placed upon us. Freedom to the joy of seeing God with unveiled face. Freedom to approach God boldly, to talk with Him as we talk with our very best friend. You know, some of you at this point may be saying, "I, I, I don't think that I have seen God and seen His glory the way you're describing. So how can I experience this? Let's jump ahead to verse 6 of chapter 4. For the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. What a wonderful description. To help us understand how we might experience this work of God in our hearts, Paul takes us back to Genesis 1. And he says, remember at the beginning when God spoke and the worlds that didn't exist came into existence? Remember how everything was dark and God simply said, let there be light. And there was light. You know, creation had no part in bringing itself into existence. Creation didn't ask God even to be created. It just, God said, let there be light. God acted alone. He spoke and the light and life came into being. So Paul here is comparing the action of God in bringing physical light into creation with the action of God in bringing spiritual light into a darkened heart. He says, just as God said in power, let there be light. And there was light, so God says to the person whose heart is blinded by sin, blinded by Satan, let there be light, and there's light. And every time God speaks, what happens? When God says, let there be light, there is always light in that person's heart. Always. There's not one person over whom God does not say, let there be light, and there's not light. Because God is sovereign in this work. In short, obtaining a vision of God's glory requires God to act in power upon our soul. In other words, we are helpless to help ourselves. 
We can do nothing to participate in this miracle of God. Now, God is a God who says, ask and you'll receive. And so what can we do? We can't do anything to bring light, but we have access. God gives us access to him where we can humbly cry out and say, God, I can't bring light into my soul. I can't make myself see your glory. I can't turn on vision. I I cannot help myself. So God, be merciful to me, a blind man, a sinful man, a poor man, be merciful to me. And do you know what? God says that every time a person calls out to him with a humble heart for mercy, God has mercy upon such a one. Our ability to see God's glory comes to us by an act of God's grace. And so let us call upon him for grace. The vision of God becomes the foundation for everything else in our Christian walk. I don't think we talk about this enough because it's absolutely central. Everything we are and everything we do as worshipers of the living God flows from our experience of seeing God for who he is. So I say, boy, this is a heavy theology, Pastor Rich. Does this have anything to do with with everyday life? Is this relevant to where where we're living? What what happens on Monday morning? I want to tell you, yes, a thousand times, yes, it's the most relevant of subjects. Let's consider this now, the the vision of God's glory, four actions. Hopefully we'll get to four. We're going to spend most of our time in the first. The vision of God's glory changes us. If we're asking the question, how can I become more like Jesus? Here it is. It is the vision of God that transforms us. Everything changes when we behold the glory of God. Look at verse 18. What a powerful expression of truth. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. That's what happens when we behold the glory of the Lord. Into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, if, if you have a, a paper Bible, I would urge you to underline the two little words, we all, we all. The Corinthian church had some problem children. Amen, as you've read First and Second Corinthians, the, the Corinthian church had some problem children. In other words, they had some children who were immature, they had some children who had given themselves over to some sins, they had some children who were, who, were, who were divisive and filled with conflict. They had some, some problem children. And yet, Paul writes them, and we all, all of us who are in the faith, we all have had this experience of beholding the glory of God. Whether you're immature, whether you're deeply mature, whether you're struggling with some sins, whether you're walking in, in power of obedience, we all, this is the, the essence of the Christian life. Friends, beware of any teaching that suggests some new path to a deeper experience with God. A path that is different from the ordinary Christian path of Jesus. Simple Jesus. The beholding of the glory of the Lord is not for a special class of super saints. Any doctrine that separates God's people into haves and have-nots is not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus brings all of the blessings of God to every person who possesses the Spirit through faith in Jesus. Every believer experiences joy. We we have been given every spiritual blessing in heavenly place. That's true for we all. 
And this, this blessing of seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus, it's not for some, a person after you've lived the Christian life for some years. Yeah, you, then you might have that joy. It is the initial, fundamental, foundational blessing is one of those. Now, there are degrees of seeing, to be sure, yet there is this common experience that every one of us has who are in Christ of seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus, seeing that God, and seeing by way of experience that he is loving and good and powerful and merciful and wonderful and holy and righteous and all-wise, that he's a God whom we can trust. So what happens when we behold the glory of the Lord? As we see God, we are being transformed into the same image. That when we see the glory of God, we immediately are being transformed. The more we see, the more we grow. The more we grow, the more we see. Four observations about this transformation. First, it's real. This transformation is real. Paul is speaking to real-life people with real-life problems. Um, He's not speaking to a group of people who are cluster, cloistered away from real-life problems and really aren't involved in, in the difficulties of this world and its brokenness. He's, he's talking to people who are hurting, talking to people who are weak, talking to people who are struggling, and yet this transformation is real. Secondly, this transformation is progressive. This transformation is not completed in one short swoop of time, but it slowly grows, it says, from one stage of glory to another stage of glory. It's a, it's a growth process through the life of the child of God. You know, everyone is looking for shortcuts, and many, in fact, many teachers offer shortcuts to, to get there, to, to become like Jesus. They suggest, for instance, there's these special prayers, and we just happen to write them out, and we'll even sell them in a book to you. There are special disciplines, there are special experiences that we can offer, there are special leaders who if you get in touch with them, especially if they lay hands on you, then you're going to have this instant sanctification. But again, friends, none of this is the gospel. The more we see, the more we grow, the more we grow, the more we see. It's progressive. Third, this transformation, it's Christ-centered, this transformation, it, it places no center other than Jesus Christ. He's always the center. Our eyes are fixed upon Him. We never remove, have to move away from Jesus onto something else in order to grow more. Jesus is the, the beginning, middle, and end. He, he, he's the center of everything. And finally, this transformation is a miracle. It's, it's a miracle from the Lord. It's, it's not our own doing. We, don't, we do not cause our own transformation. Now, that doesn't mean we're passive in the process. But we don't bring it about. We have no access to bring about this transformation of becoming like Jesus. Because if the Spirit of God is not operating in our life, there's no amount of discipline, no amount of effort, no amount of willpower that will, will bring us into this condition of growing into Christ-likeness. As we think about this transformation, you know, I found that many soft-hearted Christians are grow very concerned, and perhaps some of you are even troubled even as you think about this text for your own life, and you, you think, well, I, I'm not sure if I'm being transformed into the image of Jesus. Friends, uh, I want to encourage you, if that's where you are, remember that Moses did not know that his face was shining until someone told him. He came down the mountain, he just said, hey, look at me, I'm glowing, you know. <laughs> he came to the mountain and someone says, your face is glowing. He says, it is? 
And that, that's often true of growing Christians. Like, am I growing? Am I becoming more like Jesus? I don't know. And then someone says, you know what? I, I see Jesus in you. I've watched your life for the last year, and I, I see you're gentler. I see you're less frustrated. I see you're, you're less worried. I, I see you're more passionate for the gospel. I see you're re- more reaching out with a, with, a, with a gracious, merciful hand to others. I, I see that. So I want you to say, don't get discouraged if you don't see it in yourself. I, I would encourage you to call some godly people who, who live around you and whom you trust and say, do, do you think I'm growing? Because I really want to grow like Jesus. And I, I know my access point is to seeing the glory of God. That's what will bring about this growth. But am I growing? I, 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 I want to grow. I, the person who is being transformed in the image of Jesus is often the last one to realize it. Let's not be discouraged if we see that we have such a long way to go before we arrive at the place of Christ's likeness. One day, we'll leave this earth, whether by rapture or by death. And God says something glorious is going to take place because I think all of us, you know, even the, even the, the, the person who's being transformed the most on this planet, I don't know who that person is. Maybe it's, maybe it's your president, Mark Jove. He's a godly man. I don't know, but... He might be the guy, I don't know. But there's somebody on this earth who's, who's being transformed the most, right? We just don't know who that is. What's going to happen on the day of Jesus? How far do they have yet to grow the day they die in order to become like Jesus? I think it's a long way. So whether we're just starting or whether we've really advanced, we all have a long way to go. But isn't it a joy to know that the day we see Jesus, Jesus completes that work in a moment. That's one that's instantaneous, when we see him face to face, John talks about this in glory. He says, Beloved, we're children of God now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Why? Because we'll see him. We see that. We'll see him fully, not through a glass darkly, but we'll see him fully, and the radiance of seeing his glory full on changes us full on. And that's uh, an experience we all have to look forward to, but that's a process that right now we're presently in. That's what the gospel brings access to. So if someone were to ask you the question, how can I grow to become more like Jesus? What would you tell them? And again, many would say, well, you, if you need to read the Bible more and, 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 and memorize the Bible. You need to go to church. You need to pray daily. You need to be part of a fellowship with other believers. You need to serve in ministry. And again, all of these means are necessary in God's working But my point I want us to press is that in themselves, these do not cause a person to grow like Jesus. How do we know that? First, the Bible tells us, but secondly, just look at the Pharisees. Man, the the Pharisees know the Bible more than I know it. I've, I've been studying the Bible for over 50 years. And the Pharisees know it, knew it backwards and forwards. The Pharisees prayed three times a day. The Pharisees fasted. The Pharisees went through all the religious ritual. They served the Lord. And guess what? They were not like Jesus at all. Why? Because the the means that God established for them to connect to God were not engaged by faith. It was engaged by their own prideful self-effort and self-righteousness. So it's really important as we open up our Bibles in the morning not to say, hey, I opened my Bible, I read the Bible, I must be growing as a Christian. No, I'm going to ask you, what happened when you read the Bible in the morning? 
Did you see any of the glory of God in the face of Jesus? And if the answer is no, I didn't see any of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, I don't think anything happened. I don't think anything vital happens until when we open the scripture, when we pray, when we fellowship, when we sing songs, when we serve, we're seeing more of God. That's the element that brings transformation. He says that we're being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. The more we see, the more we grow. The more we grow, the more we see. And so I, I want to ask you this question. Are, are you more like Jesus this year than you were last year? It's a difficult question to answer. Again, we might uh, ask some friends to help us, but it's a really important question. You know, I share with the Moody students that, uh, you know, I went to Moody Bible Institute back in 1982 when I arrived on, on the, at the hallowed halls. Um, and, I, and I was full of fire, man. God had worked in my heart. So, see, I don't even know how, how, I can't do the math real quickly. How long is that? So it's a long time ago. Um, over 40 years ago. Do you know what? It, it, it's not important to say, did I grow back then? Because I'd say, yeah, I was growing like crazy back then. I was growing to become more like Jesus. I was seeing God. That's not the question I need to ask myself today. The question I need to ask, am I growing now? That's the question I need to ask. Because I can't take comfort that I grew in the past. I need to take comfort that right now my faith is active, it's alive, it's I'm continuing to grow because I still have a long way to grow. Amen? <laughs> Those of you who know me can shout amen. My wife right here, she's going to be here in the second and I'm sure she'll stand up and say amen. <laughs> I have a long way to go. You know, let's, uh, some of you have little ones. I see some little ones in a precious. What do you do in your homes to measure growth? Because you measure growth because you're looking for health. And you have, most people have those charts on the walls. And you, you don't put the child up against the, the, the measuring stick every day. That would be discouraging, all right? Because you can't measure. There's things that happen every day, but it's, it's some are just not measurable. Maybe every three months, every six months, maybe every year. And you, you mark it off and you put the date, right? And let's say your child, one through, age one through five, growing like crazy, in fact, in the 99th percentile. And you say, hey, healthy, strong. But then between five and six, at age six, you, you put them up there again, they didn't grow at all. Now, they're still, they're still now in the 75th percentile. Do you sit back and say, oh, they're still in the 75th percentile. I'm sure they're fine. No. You'd say, children are supposed to grow. They're supposed to grow all through their ch ch childhood life. If they're not growing, I'm going to take them to the doctor and say, is something wrong? Something must be wrong. Why, why didn't my child grow for a whole year? Now, we know that children top out, you know, somewhere 18, 19, somewhere in there, maybe earlier, maybe later, but somewhere like they top out, we don't expect them to grow anymore. Spiritually, God says, no, there's no topping out for us in this life. And if you, at, at age 50 or 60, you're putting your measuring marker up there, and between 60 and 61, I didn't grow at all. That we said, what's happening to my soul? There's something's not right here. The vision of God's glory transforms us. This process wonderfully. This is what makes the Christian life so exciting for me. This is why I'm more excited about Christ now than ever. Because this transformation never, ever stops. <laughs> 
The vision of God's glory transforms us, and I think I'm only going to get to one more, strengthens us. Verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. You know, Apostle Paul, and I say this to those of you who are, this is really helpful for those of you who are in ministry. Uh, Whether lay ministry or full-time ministry, this is really, really significant. Paul is experiencing incredible opposition, uh, incredible opposition from the outside, uh, from the external world, the sinful world, but also he is experiencing intense suffering as a result of what's happening in this church in Corinth. Uh, And he's experiencing it because he's a minister of the gospel, because he's in ministry. And and he's, he's often been tempted to quit. His suffering is so great, he's, he's often been tempted to just simply despair and give up on the work that God gave him to accomplish. If you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. He used the word despaired of life itself. Later in this letter, in chapter 11, he's going to describe some of the specific hardships that the ministry of the gospel brought to him, and, and they are horrendous. Um, beaten, uh, uh, shipwrecked, uh, spending nights and days in the sea, cold exposure. And then he adds this at the end in verse 28 of 2 Corinthians 11. And apart from all these other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Churches have problems. And the problems they have could become worse. And and he says, and I I think this is not just sort of a throwaway line after talking about being beaten with rods and left for dead, et cetera, and said, and in addition, there's the the anxiety. I think it's it's the climax. I think the worst thing of all I'm experiencing is the care I have for the church and the ache in my heart over what's happening in the church. He says this, therefore, having this ministry... (laughs) It's the ministry of God to him. It's the ministry of God to him first and then through him to others. By the mercy of God, he says, we do not lose heart. Paul knows that God opened a door for him to see God. And it's by following God in faith, which means being part of Jesus' ministry, that he's going to see more and more of God. And he says, knowing that I get to see God day by day, I will not quit. I will not leave the table of ministry. You know, the Apostle Paul, he's been to some nice places in his life. And I'm sure along the way, he saw some nice places where he could have retired. And there are people who would have, who would have provided for him. Said, you know what? I served my time. I know this island that I can go to and just get away from it all for the rest of my life. He could have done that. But he says, knowing the ministry, the ministry of receiving this vision of the glory of God and then participating in, in sharing the vision of the glory of God to others that's transformed, we do not lose heart. I say this to these young men, and I don't know if there's any women here from Moody. I wish someone had told me uh, when I was a student at Moody, expect the toughest things to happen from people in the church. I wish I could have, someone had told me that. Nobody told me that, and so I had to experience it, and then it kind of surprised me. And I, have this, I had this view, like, well, I expected this from people outside, but I didn't ever expect it from people inside the church. 
And then as I read my Bible, I thought, why didn't I expect this to happen from inside the church? Paul's experience, everybody experiences it. Be ready for it. And your calling must not be dependent upon whether people are nice to you all the time. Your calling is dependent upon whether the Spirit of God has called you into a work and you say, I am, I am lashed to the mast of the ship and I am going to sail through any storm, not because I'm strong enough to stay lashed to this mast, but because of this ministry is so great, I continually see God. And I don't want to give up on seeing God. I don't give up on sharing this glory of God with other people. The strength we receive from seeing God is more than enough to enable us to persevere in faith. So, some of you may be, perhaps, or lay folks here that said, I, I once knew that. I uh, had a time where I was so passionate for God and I was so intensely involved in the ministry of Jesus Christ, but there's some bad things that happened. There's people that discouraged me. There's some church leaders doing something else. There was some, you know, some circumstances that happened. I, I just thought, why, do, why would I invite that kind of trouble into my life? And I've backed away. Perhaps that's where you are. And there, there are many in the church who, who, who have gifts and abilities to serve Christ, and they just simply backed away because of the discouragement. I want to tell you, that is from Satan. Satan wants to blind your eyes, even as he does unbelievers, from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to reconnect, not first to ministry, but reconnect to this this daily pursuit of seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That when when you open your Bible in the morning, that that God will explode by a spirit off the page. Get back to that. Ask God for that. Because I believe that when you begin to see afresh the glory of God, you'll be re-energized, you'll be strengthened to say, I cannot quit on this ministry. I've got to keep pressing forward until the day I die. Because the day I die, I will see him even more gloriously. Just want to read these last verses and then we'll close together. says, um, we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. What he's saying there, we're going to have a pure gospel ministry. We're not going to do what the false teachers are doing. They're doing so many pragmatic things that are bringing people in to the church, but they, they do not have the power of God, of, of, open, of, of the gospel that opens blind eyes. He says, we refuse to be part of that. He says in verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan's real. And one of Satan's biggest concerns is that no one would see the glory of God. That's what he's about, keeping us from seeing the glory of God for ourselves in our community. And then he says, and I love this, for the God who says in verse 6, let light shine out of darkness is shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So I want to close with the question I asked earlier. Have you experienced seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus? If you say no, um, there's one of two, two uh, 
ways you can go if you say, no, I don't think I have. There's one way you can say, and I don't really want to. I, I, when I think of Jesus, and even here in this message, I, I don't see anything there. I, I don't see anything so amazing to give my life over, to give up sin, to give up the way I want to live my life. I, I just don't see it, and so I'm not going to pursue it. I'm just going to continue to stay on the path I'm on. And, and what Paul is saying to you is that the reason you don't see is not because Jesus isn't glorious. It's because right now your heart's been blinded by Satan because he is glorious, and everyone who sees him for who he is will follow him. So you might say, I'm, I'm just going to stay the same, but I would say, I urge you, at least call out to God and ask him, Lord, would you show me your glory? Be bold enough to pray that prayer. Others of you say, no, I, I'm beginning to see the glory of God. I want him. Then I, I want you to know that the God who sovereignly works miracles says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. So call up and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need this work of grace where I, I see your glory in the face of Jesus. I need to have my eyes open. Would you open my eyes? Have mercy upon me. Give me sight. And I believe he will. For the rest of you, I think probably the majority of you here, because this is a, such a sweet church, you say, I, I do see. I, I want to urge you to continue to press forward in seeing. Don't become dull in seeing with, again, these other externals or even the means of grace, but press on toward the meaning of grace, which is to see God. It's in Him that we find our joy and strength. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for uh, the gospel. Thank You, Father, that we, we can proclaim Jesus and that there's power in this message that Your Spirit works through this, this message of the gospel to to bring about a transformation that's real, that's strong, that's sure. Help us not to, to neglect it. Help us not to water it down. Help us not to corrupt it, twist it uh, uh, in any way, but to present the gospel fully, never being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing it is power, power to bring salvation, power to bring your glory near to us, Father, through Jesus. So, Father, please bless this church with more vision for your glory, we pray. Amen.